Your podcast starts after this quick message from Clear. The average person breathes over 23,000 times a day. That's 23,000 opportunities for allergens and germs to get in your nose and body and wreak havoc. That is, unless you regularly clean your nose and sinuses. So for healthy breathing and a strong body, use Clear Nasal Spray. Clear is a natural nasal spray featuring xylitol, an ingredient clinically proven to work against bacteria and effectively clean, not just rinse, your nose. Clear Nasal Spray quickly alleviates congestion, opens your airway, and ensures your body's natural defenses are strong. In fact, in a recent study, researchers found that xylitol nasal sprays like Clear are just as effective as leading medicated nasal sprays. For better breathing, get Clear today. That's spelled X-L-E-A-R. You can find it at all major retailers, CVS, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sprouts, Whole Foods, and everywhere else. The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast. Dr. Taz. Your good health journey starts now. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back. Welcome back to Superwoman Wellness, where on every episode of the show, we're going to uncover the secrets to being superpowered and being the superwoman you're meant to be. And today's topic is no exception. Joining me today is Dr. Rick Hansen. He is the author of Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength, and Happiness. Welcome to the show, Dr. Hansen. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. And please call me Rick, of course. You're Dr. Taz, right? Okay, I'm Dr. Taz. We'll call you Rick. I want to brag on you for just a second, though, Rick. You are a psychologist. You're a senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, and you're a New York Times bestselling author. Your work has been featured on the BBC, CBS, NPR, Radio New Zealand, and other major media. You've done things like a free uh, offering, including the Just One Thing newsletter, which has a ton of subscribers, the Buddha's Brain Facebook that has over 650,000 likes, and the B. Well, podcast. You spend decades helping people turn everyday experiences into lasting happiness, love, and inner peace, and hardwiring that. That's the trick into the brain. You enjoy the wilderness, taking a break from emails and time with your wife and two adult children. Welcome to the show. Excellent. Thank you. So, like we were talking before we began, I feel like this topic is incredibly important. I am trying always so hard to help my patients and the people I meet and my community navigate this word. The word is resilience. And I think even as a mother now to a middle schooler watching that in her, you know, how do we build resilience? What does this word mean? And why is it so vital and so critical for our well-being? Right. People usually think of resilience as recovering from the worst day of your life. And and we need it for that, but we also need it to thrive every day of our life. In other words, resilience is is the core of strength inside us, like the keel of a sailboat that helps us stay steady when the waves come and keep on going toward our aims and purposes, taking care of other people along the way. So that's the essence of it. And we need it more than ever because as various external supports kind of break down in society... And as the pace of life increases and as we expect more of ourselves, we actually need more strength than ever just to deal with challenges. So as a longtime psychologist, I'm very interested in kind of the old school process of, okay, how do you actually grow patience, self-confidence, self-worth, motivation, compassion, and happiness inside yourself, literally hardwired into the nervous system? 
I'm sure we're going to talk about that. But to me, that's the essence of the process. Can't change the past. Uh, but in this moment, this day, we can always grow some and become stronger and wiser and happier when we go to bed than when we woke up in the morning. So how do we do that? You know, and how do we achieve that state? So it's been a journey for all of us, right? I mean, and we have different tools and and processes along the way. And everyone's journey is their own. But is there a formula? Is there a method to build the skill to build resilience and also to build it in our children? And what is the best way to do that? Yeah, the method is grounded in um, hardcore neuroscience, uh, really summarized in this increasingly well-known saying, neurons that fire together, wire together. It's a two-stage process, but the second stage is incredibly important because without it, there's no lasting value. So let's say we have a child, and uh, I've worked with kids a lot. Uh, So you have a child, and the child, let's say, is having a moment of feeling of worth, of value, you know, some accomplishment, maybe a a friend was nice, they got invited to sit at the cool kids' table in middle school. It's a good day, right? Um, right? So right then and there, the person's having an experience. You have to, first step of two is experience whatever you want to grow. So let's say you're having an experience of self-worth, or maybe you're me, and you're realizing, ruh-roh, it's going to be a lot more effective with your wife if you say X instead of Y the next time, and you want to learn from that, okay? So now you're experiencing something. And then in the second necessary step, the, the wiring together step, it's really important to help the experience you're having sink in, in effect, literally get converted into a lasting change in your brain. Because without that lasting change, by definition, there's no lasting value. It's a passing experience that's nice, but the next morning you're just as stressed or insecure as ever. And the simple uh, steps that you can do inside your own mind when you're having a useful experience that you want to help sink in so you can grow from it is stay with it for a breath or longer. It's remarkable how quickly we just zoom on to the next thing while the current painful experience it is fast-tracked into our, into our bodies. You know, moments of anxiety, irritation, frustration, hurt, low worth, they go right in because of the brain's negativity bias, which we'll probably talk about later. So one thing you can do to hardwire these things into yourself is just to stay with it for a breath or longer. Give it to yourself. Second, feel it in your body. The more you feel and experience in your body, the more you move from the idea of it to the feeling of it, like grit, determination, or the sense that you can endure, which are major aspects of resilience. The more you feel those kinds of things in your body, for example, the more they're going to sink in. And then last, key trick is to focus on what's rewarding about it. If you focus on what's pleasurable or meaningful about a beneficial experience, that will increase activity of neurotransmitters in your brain called dopamine and norepinephrine, which will uh, flag the experience you're having at the time as a keeper, flag it for a priority as it gets consolidated into long-term storage. What I'm describing, by the way, lasts about 10 or 20 seconds, you know, most of the times you do it, you can always take longer to do it. The more you keep those neurons firing, the more they're going to be wiring. But altogether, I'm really talking about taking five minutes a day to help the experiences you're already having have lasting value for you. Fantastic. So I love that. And then does that apply to our children as well? How do Mm -hmm. we do this for our children? Yeah. The thing is, is to work backwards. We want to grow. 
right? We want to grow. We want to become happier, stronger, wiser, maybe more spiritual. We want our kids to, to grow in various ways as well. Emotional intelligence, acquiring more of a growth mindset over time. We want that growth to occur. And yet, honestly, I've been a clinical psychologist for a long time and even longer involved in human potential. We don't tend to have a theory of actually how the growth process happens and what can the person do inside themselves to turbocharge their own growth. So to me, that's such an incredibly important thing. The strength of strengths is learning. Because if you, if you know how to learn in the broadest sense, including social, emotional learning, uh, then you can help yourself learn from the experiences you're having along the way. So with our kids, we can teach them these skills to slow down when they're experiencing something useful, don't waste it on your brain, look for those opportunities for a moment of self-worth, a moment of gratitude, a moment of uh, determination, a moment of uh, realizing that you're going to be more skillful with your peers if you do, you know, X instead of Y. And then when you're having those experiences, Turn on the inner recorder, right? You've got the song playing in your inner iPod. Turn on the recorder. Slow it down. Receive the experience into yourself. Help it gradually, bit by bit, synapse by synapse, wire its way into your own nervous system so you then increasingly carry your strengths with you wherever you go. I mean, for me, this is not positive thinking. In a funny way, it's the opposite. I don't believe in positive thinking. I believe in realistic thinking. What I'm talking about here is the essence of self-reliance. It, you know, it would be great if rescue were to come, but I don't see much rescue coming. I think we're on our own a lot more. And if we're on our own, it's really fundamentally important to know how to help yourself become stronger and more resilient every day. So I think that's great advice, but then when we get in the moment... How do we redirect that anxiety, yeah. that fear, that loneliness that that then for some people turns into darkness and turns into this deep abyss? You know, let's say they mm-hmm. have a lot of pain or suffering or they feel like they've been wronged. Uh, oh, yeah. The breath helps. I know meditation and mindfulness helps. I know prayer helps. What else is it that we can maybe tangibly and physically do to come back to ourself and realize that often we have everything we need to get through any given situation. Yeah. Well, you're raising a very poignant and real question. And um, the long-term solution, like long-term over weeks and months, is to grow more psychological resources. It's to develop inner calm, self-worth, well-being, positive mood, uh, various executive functions, emotional intelligence, and so forth. These are well-understood, well-researched, secure attachment, things like that. So that's, that's the midterm solution over weeks and, and months, and it's, it's the one that the, has the, the greatest hope for us over time. You know, situations come and go, but if we're not developing strengths in ourselves along the way, you know, we're going to be in the same pickle tomorrow that we were today. So that's the midterm solution. In the moment, there are a variety of things to do. First and foremost, we draw upon the strengths that we've developed inside ourselves. So if, if we don't have many strengths inside, it's really tough to deal with difficult situations. You know, so all that said, um, I think of uh, a three-step process that um, you just see again and again and again. So first step is to be with the experience, mindfully, with compassion, with a sense of spaciousness, a little neurological trick 
is to get a sense of the larger space you're in, to be aware of, for example, the whole room, or to be aware of the whole body in the moment, because that gives you a sense of perspective and, and larger context for whatever is upsetting. So fundamentally, though, we just be with it. And that alone makes a huge difference. Instead of being identified with the upset, we step back from it mindfully and witness it in a big space of awareness. Second step, let it go. As much as possible, you know, let the tension flow out of your body, let the feelings flow, disengage from those beliefs that are not good for you and others, let go of the desires that are going to cause trouble for you and others, let go. And then third step, let in, replace what you've released with some positive alternative. In other words, let's say you've released feelings of anxiety. Turn toward the sense of calm strength in yourself. Turn toward recognizing protections around you. Turn toward recognizing the actual visceral fact most seconds of most days, which is that your body is basically okay right now. Maybe not completely happy, maybe in some pain, but you're not dying. You're not being chewed by a shark in this moment, at least. You're basically all right right now. Um, that's the fundamental process. You know, let be, let go, let in. And as we move through it uh, again and again and again, we are able to uh, be with our experience more and more deeply because we've grown resources and we can also release what's troubling us more and more fully uh, in this process of letting be, letting go, and letting in. I love that. I hope everybody caught that. Uh, I was furiously typing away on my lovely device here, but be, let go, let in. That is the trick to, or the method to train ourselves into resilience and understanding that we have everything within our reach in terms of what we need to get through life's ups and downs. Is there a structured program that helps build that almost like an exercise for the brain, so to speak? Like you would say, you know, Hey, Dr. Taz, go do this app for 10 minutes a day or Mm -hmm. go do this for X amount of time a day. Is there something structured like that, that you know of that assist in this whole process? I really appreciate that. Well, one, I, I do have those programs myself, and I should say that we make them available to anyone who has financial need for free. And a person can go to my website, uh, rickhampton.net, and see a variety of different programs, including ones that are that are very accessible on mobile, uh, including, um, I would say, very short programs. I'm a big believer, you know, the most important practice a person can do is the one they'll actually do consistently, Right. And so we'd make things extremely accessible to them. The essence I would just suggest to people, if you'll you'll bear with me, I'll offer a 10-minute challenge, okay? And yeah. I'll keep it short and sweet. It won't take me 10 minutes to explain it. So these are three things a person can do every day that'll take less than 10 minutes, probably closer to five, and I guarantee it, it'll make your day different. And by if you do them for a week in a row, you will really notice a change. Okay. Number one, as you go through your day, half a dozen times a day, a handful of times every day, and you can even make a little mark on a list that, you you know, that you do it, right? Slow down for a breath or two or longer to just take in the good. Like right now, I'm looking out my window and I saw a hummingbird land on a little branch. Oh, what a Mm -hmm. neat hummingbird. Slow down, take it in. You know, a moment of connecting with my wife over coffee when, you know, we finish talking here. Okay, slow down to take it in. Right there uh, is going to take you a couple of minutes total a day. You could do that a handful of times each day, but it'll change your day, partly because you'll be looking for those moments in the flow of everyday life. Not million-dollar moments. They're not more than what they are, but they're not less than what they are. Okay. Second, 
no one thing in particular you're trying to grow these days. What's one thing? Like maybe, and you can help a child. You could think, okay, given what you're grappling with, what is the matched resource or antidote? As you know, as a physician, diagnosis drives treatment. So what's the issue? And then second, what if it were more present in the mind would really help? So let's say a person is feeling really, you know, anxious by tendency. Well, feelings of calm strength, recognizing protections, not overestimating uh, threats, being more realistic and appraising threats, things like that would be particular strengths. Or maybe you're like me, growing up um, without much empathy in my family, and also I was really young going through school, so I had a lot of experiences of loneliness and, and feeling inadequate. So maybe you're, the strength you're trying to grow these days, the superpower you know, you're trying to develop in yourself these days, is feeling cared about by other people or wanted or worthy. All right. Whatever that is, know what that one thing in particular is that you're trying to develop inside yourself. Maybe it's you want to let go faster of worrying about stuff. Okay, that's what you're working on. Know what you're working on. And so then when you're having experiences of it or related factors, those are high-value moments. Really, really slow down, you know, for, again, a few breaths to internalize them into your body. And then the last thing I would suggest every day is for a minute or more drop into what I call deep green, a deep sense that your core needs are met for safety, satisfaction, and connection, a deep sense of authentic peace, contentment, and love for that minute or few minutes here. Just let the body settle down, stress falling away, drivenness, what the Buddha called craving, falling away, here and now, you're okay, now. And take it into yourself. Just marinate in that experience for a minute or more today. Okay, that's it. That's my 10-minute challenge. Probably closer to a five-minute challenge. I love it. Yeah, and it's an inner workout, but it's just five minutes. It makes such a difference for people. Well, I encourage everybody listening out there to try this. And then if you want additional resources, definitely check out uh, Rick's website, which I think is rickhanson.net. I do want to talk a little bit because people get very confused about just being positive and trying to put a positive spin on everything. And I think some of us beat ourselves up when we're not positive, right? And then there's the hardwiring from childhood or previous generations, even of being a little bit negative or self-protective. Help us sort through all of that. Where does resilience play into positivity and protection and some of these other ideas? Yeah. First and foremost, so I, I grew up in L.A., and I saw a mm-hmm. lot of happy, smiley, faking it till you make it that never actually happened. You know, in other words, a happy mask covering over a lot of underlying sorrow, strain, loss, and so forth. So we, we really have to start with letting be. That was the first of the three practices. We have to experience our experience. We have to tell the truth about how it really is for us. But, of course, to do that, we need to, you know, have resources inside, like, feeling cared about by other people, let's say, or being compassionate toward ourselves so we can actually be with our own experience. So that's absolutely foundational, and I I think that you're exactly right. Um, Any kind of pretense about how you really feel is not any good over the long haul. All right. Second, though, um, we have a brain that uh, is designed to go negative. I say it's like mm-hmm. Velcro for bad experiences, the Teflon for good ones. This is the evolved negativity bias of the brain 
There's tons of research, by the way, for everything I'm saying with you and we're talking about here, including the brain's negativity bias. The reason is that our ancestors needed to get carrots and avoid sticks, but if you don't get a carrot today, you know, uh, you'll have a chance tomorrow, but if you don't avoid that stick today, that predator, that aggression in your band, that hazard, (laughs) no more carrots forever. So we have a brain that's designed to uh, overlearn from negative experiences. And you know how it is, right? You get like, uh, you you know, 10 things happen in a relationship today, nine are positive, one is a little quarrel. What thing you think about before you fall asleep, right? Or for a kid in school, you know, hundreds of things will happen over the course of your daughter's day. But if she's like my kids and like me as a kid, she'll think about that one weird, awkward social moment where she felt rejected. That's the one that's really going to sink in. So that's the brain's mm-hmm. negativity bias. It's normal. It's useful in the Stone Age. It's useful today if you're in a combat zone. But for most people, it just creates tons of excess suffering, tons of unnecessary conflict with other people because they got a negativity bias too. And it can create right. a vicious cycle, bing, 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 back and forth with them. So for me, the point is not to deny the negative. Actually, as we grow strengths inside, resources inside, we're more able deal with the negative, and research shows we tend to be more cooperative and forgiving and generous and moral and social toward other people as well. So we grow the good inside ourselves for their sake, too, not just for our own sake. And so to me, that's, that's kind of a way to understand this. So the essence of it for me is to see the whole mosaic of your life, your experience, moment by moment by moment, and not just get sucked into the one tile in that mosaic of your own experience that's flashing red. Deal with it, for sure. But don't let Mother Nature's, you know, neurological plan for you, as well as the negative messaging of other people in the media, politics, etc., not let that manipulate you so that you miss sight of the whole picture of who you are as a being, which has so many good qualities innately, as well as good qualities you've developed, Also, the whole picture of the world around you, which is just, at its worst, extraordinary that it exists at all, right? Would you rather have a human mind or the mind of a cockroach? I don't know. Would you rather live today or living in England in the time of Charles Dickens? Or, you know, my dad was born on a ranch in North Dakota, and he had Mm -hmm. 1918, and, you know, medical care was really pitiful back then. Um, and it was better then than it was a thousand years ago. So, so for me, it's, it's not about looking at the world through rose-colored glasses. It's taking off the mud-colored glasses that Mother Nature has endowed us with and every day in a very self-reliant, tough-minded kind of way, looking to grow the good inside yourself. I love that. Any other advice for us as we try to build resilience and as we try to realize that we have the powers within us to navigate whatever it is we need to? Any other advice? Well, first, let's, thank you for letting me rant there. Uh, no, so, I think it was amazing. Um, well, I would say from a long-time experience as I'm basically a neuropsychologist, there are a couple of things that I think are go-tos. So I'm going to name go-tos, and these are my go-tos too, right, as well. So one is uh, very simply... Notice in this moment, now and now, as you breathe, the feeling that you're basically okay. The body is telling the brain routinely what its status is. 
And most of the time, it's like a night watchman calling out, all is well, all is well. Now, as a physician, you know it's not always well. But when it is basically okay, notice that feeling. We, we, and the, the point of noticing the actual fact that you're okay enough in this moment is a major compensation for the ways that we tend to go through life anxious and braced and anticipating the worst. So this itself is a very powerful practice. I return to again and again, and I recommend it routinely for people who are anxious, which is most of us these days. Notice you're all right right now. Really, really important. The second go-to is to slow down to savor wholesome pleasures. Uh, This will not make you want them more. Actually, as you fill yourself up with experiences of contentment and gratitude, that tends to reduce drivenness and craving and addictive tendencies because if you feel more and more uh, filled up from the inside out, your well-being is already established inside. You're going to want that new sweater or that extra cookie. Sure, I want the extra cookie, all right? But you're not going to be so, got to have it, my precious, right. about it. So looking for moments again and again and again of wholesome pleasure. You know, relaxing, drinking a little water when you're thirsty, finally making it to the bathroom, getting those tight shoes off your feet. Uh, you know, your cat crawls into your lap. Take in those wholesome pleasures. And that's really important. Thing. And then the third and last go-to for me on a regular basis is to see the being behind the eyes of the other person. You walk down the street, you see people, they're tired, they're stressed, they're worried, they're, they're concerned about their own kids, they're dealing with the crazy world we're in. Um, you work with them, you live with them, you sleep with them, see the being behind your eyes. It's so easy to lose sight of the being behind the eyes of the other person and to treat them you know, as an it, in effect, rather than a thou. And that practice of seeing the being behind the eyes of the other person doesn't mean we give up our own rights doesn't mean we approve of them or agree with them. But actually, as we see the being behind their eyes, first, we're going to be more skillful with them if we've got to work with them or deal with them or negotiate or something. And also, as soon as you see the being behind the other person's eyes, notice in yourself a calming and a centering, uh, a kind of coming home to who you are as well, because it gives you a sense of the the being that you are as well. So those are my three go-tos. I love it. I don't think I could have said it much better. Thank you so much for actually I have a question before I want to close. So if ambition is a craving, then Mm. how do you balance the desire for change, improvement in yourself and in your children? And then the issue that it's a craving and can maybe contribute to anxiety and to all these other issues that we all walk around with. Fantastic central question. And so For one, think of the distinction between liking and wanting, and I mean wanting here in a kind of an extreme form. And there's a traditional saying, liking without wanting is heaven, wanting without liking is hell. And I think a lot of people are caught up in wanting and drivenness, but they don't enjoy, right? They're continually chasing the next brass ring, but they don't enjoy the gold rings that are available every second along the way. And that's really poignant and it creates a lot of issues, including, you know, scaled up globally. So track the difference between liking and wanting. Second, it's notice that it's possible to have what I call aspiration without attachment. In other words, to be effortful, dedicated, ambitious in a healthy way 
toward, you know, good goals pursued with good means while being at peace with whatever the results are. That's the key. Can you go for it while being at peace with whatever the results are? And the transition from being at peace, you know, with whatever the results are, including you might be sad, you might be frustrated. Uh, you know, I'll read a one-star review on Amazon and I'll go, what? You know, just because the book was delivered with a bent cover, you're going to give me a one-star right. review, right? right? You know, that's right. a right. right. But it doesn't need to invade the mind and remain, as the Buddha put it a long time ago. You know, it can arise, but can it pass through you? That's where resilience really comes in, so that you mm, can beautiful. keep on going while being at peace with whatever happens or recovering quickly if it gets upsetting. And to me, that's the sweet spot. Then you get the best of both worlds. You don't wear yourself out. You know, intense uh, drivenness is a short-term strategy, but a long-term cost. You can't sustain the marathon of a career with that kind of tension. And as you said, the add-on cost of anxiety. The thing I'm talking about, aspiration without attachment, is the best of both worlds. You're going for it. You're working hard. You're clocking those hours. My wife would be the first to tell you, I definitely am ambitious and clock a lot of hours. But along the way, I've tried to help myself, you know, be more and more at peace with whatever happens. So there's less and less friction between you and the world, right? You're, you're doing what you're doing. You're mainly internally referenced. You disengage increasingly from the applause you're getting. I think Brene Brown has a wonderful line, right for your fans, mm-hmm. not your critics, right? Uh, dare greatly, also, as she puts Ooh, it so well. I love and, that. Uh, so yeah. to me, then you get the best of both worlds. That's the essence of it for me, how to be in the world, enjoying its pleasures, dealing with its pains, but with less and less friction between you and the world along the way. I love that. I don't think we should end with anything else because that was so perfect. So thank you so much for joining me today. If my audience thank wants you. to connect with you, what what's the best way for them to do that? RickHanson.net. Tons of freely offered resources. They can check out my free weekly newsletter that has a little practice each week. It's called Just One Thing. It's really practical and in the trenches. Uh, There are also guided meditations they can find there at my website, RickHanson.net. And they can see these online programs that thousands and thousands of people have done to really, really good effect. So that's what I'd encourage people to do, RickHanson.net. Fantastic. And for the rest of you, thank you for listening to this episode of Superwoman Wellness on resilience and how to build it in your own life. This is now on Spotify as well. And if you have questions about today's show, connect with me on Instagram or Facebook at Dr. Taz MD. And if you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it and share it with your friends. I will see you guys all next time.